Well, like some of you, I grew up in a, in a divided home. Now, I don't mean in a dysfunctional way, not at all. I mean like, like all of us, my dad's personality was very different from my mom's personality. And that way it was divided. We knew who we could go to if we wanted compassion. And we knew who to fear. And if you know my dad and mom, you know who I'm talking about. My dad was and is such a compassionate man. Always sees the positive. My mom, we feared my mom. We knew that she had high expectations for us. We had very little doubt that she loved us. But we knew the differences in their personalities. We knew that mom would hold us strictly to an expectation. My dad, however, has always taken such a positive, positive outlook on life. Sometimes, honestly, it was frustrating because it didn't seem like reality. What I'm thankful for is that I did not grow up in a home of complainers. They did not allow it. For one, my dad didn't see anything that you could complain about. And my mom just wouldn't put up with it. Uh, she, she knew that what God had done for us. I was so thankful as I look back at our, at our home that we did not grow up in a complaining atmosphere. Nobody likes to be around that kind of atmosphere for very long. I mean, most people don't at least. Those that are complainers probably enjoy it. But they always find fault. They always look for things to criticize. They put people down. They judge others. It's a miserable way to live. I frankly don't like spending that much time with people like that. But I must admit that there are times when I'm tempted to act the same way. I I can easily act the same way. And so Jesus addresses this issue in part in the Sermon on the Mount. And when he addressed the issue here, he's dealing with someone that we must all confront and our own heart. We have to confront it in others. We have to confront it in ourselves. Having a negative, critical judgment or judgmental attitude is everywhere, even within our own hearts. We'll see that Jesus' teaching is really very simple and straightforward. He tells us bluntly, that we need to stop being judgmental. And then he tells us that rather than being judgmental concerning others, we have to look at our own hearts. And then we're able to judge appropriately. So let's start first with that we must not judge unjustly. Verse 1 and 2. It's so secret that verse 1 has been grossly misunderstood by many people. When Jesus says, judge not, People have interpreted that to mean that we are not to engage in any form of analysis or evaluation of others, that we are not to judge. In other words, let them live however they want to live. We're just inclusive of everyone. We don't judge. But that's not what Jesus is teaching. Those who do teach that, however, would justify all manner of evil and use this command to cor- that you can't correct anyone And you certainly can't take a stand for righteousness. Many years ago, well, I don't, almost 20 years ago, I think, uh, I had a tax man that that was very good uh, with with my taxes, saved us a lot of money through the years. And I was very disappointed this past year when I found out that he had passed away. 
He was such a good man at, at his job. But he also attended a, an extremely liberal church. And he assumed that, that because I'm a Presbyterian, that I did too. But he didn't know that I wasn't that type of Presbyterian. As I sat uncomfortably at his desk one time, just wishing that he would finish my taxes, he said, the Jesus I read about in the Bible says that we're supposed to love everyone. And I knew exactly what he meant because of the conversation we were having. He was meaning that we are to support whatever lifestyle someone chooses, even if it's in direct defiance to the clear commands of God. We live in such an age, don't we? For many years, there's been this emphasis on tolerance and acceptance. Now, there's nothing wrong with tolerance and acceptance. They're beautiful words, great qualities. But what many mean by them is that we should accept any act, any lifestyle, without careful, critical evaluation of what the Scriptures teach. Is this what Jesus meant? No. We know this because of what Scripture says in so many other places about judging others. Even in this, in, in this very passage, we skip down to verse 6. We'll come back to verse 6 at the end. But in verse 6, he tells us to be judgmental. He tells us be, that there are dogs and pigs. You, you have to evaluate people to know if they're a dog or a pig. You, there, there has to be some judgment there. So also later in this chapter, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Clearly, if we're going to determine who is a true or false prophet, we must engage in fruit evaluation or judging. So we're called upon to make judgments about individuals and behaviors. Many other passages teach this as well. And so what is Jesus talking about? If he's not talking about refraining from any form of judgment, what does he mean? He's saying that we should not allow ourselves to develop a, and maintain a critical, judgmental spirit. We should not judge someone unjustly or with a condemning attitude. He's talking all throughout this sermon about our hearts. Over and over and over, you remember, he, he compares the Pharisees and the scribes, religious leaders. Don't be like them. This is yet another contrast. I like the way Lick Duncan put it uh, in one of his sermons many years ago. He's, he said, a person who judges others harshly or quickly or unfairly or destructively, a person who is quick to criticize and a person whose criticism is not designed to build up, but is actually designed to destroy, to tear down, and is harsh and unfair. That, that's the point that Jesus is making. And all throughout this sermon, he contrasts life in the kingdom versus the, the, the hypocritical lifestyle of the religious leaders of his day. They were quick to judge others unjustly without any attempt to evaluate their own attitudes and actions. But that's not the only point here, is it? None of us like to be around critical, judgmental people, which reveals another more serious problem with being judgmental. Jesus warns us that those who judge unjustly will be judged. There will be consequences. So we must be careful 
about judging unjustly or rashly or harshly by making an assessment that's not based on reality. It's so tempting to, to judge a person that we don't know, simply on the basis of secondhand or thirdhand information or what we read on social media. Some of you seriously need to take a break from Facebook. You need to just stop. You're driving people crazy. You're maybe, maybe you're the reason that some of your family members are, are separating from you because of the judgmental, harsh response that you give people based on secondhand, thirdhand, or lack of real knowledge at all. This morning, as I was preparing, getting, ironing my shirt, I noticed our puppy right outside our bedroom door. And there's now, thanks to this rascal, there's a hole in our carpet. And I see him around the corner of the door, and I hear him chewing. I think, and I yell at him, no! And I turn and look, and he has one of his toys. And he looks at me with that sheepish little look and comes up to me with his head down like he'd done something horrible, and I had the wrong information. I made an assumption about him that wasn't accurate, that wasn't true, and I harshly reacted to him. Now, that's a humorous illustration. But we are so prone to do the same thing so quickly, aren't we? With misinformation, secondhand, thirdhand information, rushing to judgment. That's what Jesus is warning us about. And he says that we will be judged by the same standard. Look at his words at the end of verse 2. By our standard of measure, it will be measured to us. We don't make the rules. We may have opinions, which are our opinions, but we may not impose them as law on the rest of the Lord's people. In our evaluations, we must always evaluate in the light of His authority, by the Word of God, the sole authority, not on the basis of our own opinions. We'll see this tonight again as we come to Sola Scriptura and the authority of God's Word and the sufficiency of God's Word. Again, Jesus is not saying that we may not think critically or that we may not assess or evaluate others, but when we do, we must not be unjust. We must not rush or be rash into judgment. And while we'll consider in a moment how we are to judge, but he begins by instructing us to eliminate this critical attitude from the way in which we deal with others. But there's a second warning in here as well in verse 3 and 4. We must not judge others unjustly or rashly, and we must not judge hypocritically. That's, that's the point of this humorous illustration that Jesus uses. The picture is of a man walking around with a beam sticking out of his eye. It's a huge log, like a rafter, sticking out of his eye. And he's walking around, considering himself as a moral expert, inspecting the, the specks of eyes in other people. He's coming not at your invitation, but at his own invitation to help you get the speck out of your eye. As parents, if you've, and I'm sure you have, you've, you've had your child come to you, they've got something in their eye and it's irritated, it hurts, they want you to help, you know in order to help, you've got to get really close and you're really gentle with their eye as you, as you 
pull down their lid, and you look into it, and you try to help them carefully. The eye is so sensitive, right? I don't know if there's another organ of the body that is as, as sensitive as the eye. My eyes are incredibly sensitive. I, I don't know how you people put contacts in your eyes. I used to have to turn the other way when Wendy would do it. I couldn't stand watching it. Uh, I have to lay, literally lay on the floor and pry my eye open and drop, put drops in them. My eyes are so overly sensitive. And here's this individual with a log sticking out of their eye trying to help. Obviously, what he's saying is that we need to first look at ourselves. We need to do self-examination to evaluate our own life, look at our own faults, examine our own sins, be honest with ourselves, deal with ourselves first, with our own hearts. It's easy to live under the illusion that our hearts are pure and right, and look at how foolish the rest of them are. It's easy to judge others when we don't see our own hearts. Jesus says, you hypocrites. Let that soak in. You hypocrites. Who are you? Take the log out of your own eye first. It tells us that unless we're willing to deal with our own situation, we are nothing but a hypocrite. If we really want to help others, and we do, we really do want to help one another. We really do love our family members. We really do care about our, so our co-workers. We love people. We want to help them first thing we got to do is take the log out of our own eye. Only after we do this, then we are able to see clearly to take the speck out of our brother's eye. Think back in the Old Testament, and you're familiar with King David, and that incredible story of King David, and the, the wickedness in David's heart as he saw Bathsheba bathing, he wanted her, he took her, and then he brought Uriah home to try to cover up his sin, Uriah, her, her husband. And then he sent Uriah back to war, and he told the commander, put him on the front and to draw away when the battle gets intense so that Uriah would be killed. He murdered Uriah. And then he took Bathsheba as his own. You remember Nathan the prophet? You remember what God told Nathan to do and to go to David, and Nathan was terrified, understandably so, to confront the king? But he went. And he tells David a story, supposedly true. David believed it was a true story, that there was a very wealthy man that had many, many sheep, flocks, an amazing amount of, amount of flocks, and there was a poor man who had one lamb that he cherished like his only daughter. The rich man was going to throw a feast. He took that poor man's lamb, and he sacrificed it and fed his guests. King David was incensed. The man should be put to death. And Nathan turns to David and says, you are the man. It's so easy to be the judge of another man's sin and not recognize we are the man. We are the sinner that needs to be corrected. Oh, it's always easier to point out the faults of others 
to show how better they could be if they would just do it the way that we do it. It's so much easier if you just live like me and not look at our own sin. And this introduces then the appropriate way to judge. There is an appropriate way. First, we must judge with compassion. Verse 5, it starts out harsh, doesn't it? You hypocrite, first take out the log First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The point that is often missed in this humorous analogy is that our brother has a speck in his eye. His, our brother has a speck in his eye, in his eye that, needs to be, that needs help to be removed. And Jesus says that we have a responsibility to care for our brother, to help him when he needs it. We are to judge and examine ourselves first, before we attempt to point out the speck in other people's lives, but we are supposed to help our brothers and sisters. When we do remove the log from our own eye, by dealing with our own sin, then we can see clearly enough to help our brother. When we truly see ourselves, we become aware that we need God's mercy. We don't need His judgment. We need to be treated with compassion, not a critical spirit. We should also, therefore, treat others with compassion as we would want to be treated. Do you want others to give you the benefit of the doubt? Of course you do. Demonstrate such compassion toward them. Do you want others to think well of you? Of course you do. Even before they understand you? Of course we do. Then do the same for them. Do you want others to criticize you harshly or encourage you? Again, the answer is obvious. Then be an encourager. Come alongside. We'll take the time today, but this is the, the example of Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas coming alongside Paul, bridging that gap between Paul and the apostles, being that son of encouragement. Christ calls us to love one another, to seek the highest good for one another, to build up one another. Unjust, hypocritical attitudes tear one another down. That's why Jesus deals with this kind of attitude. It has no place in the church. It has no place in the life of a Christian. And we find this attitude in ourselves. We must repent and ask God to grant us the ability to take the good look at ourselves, ask Him to show us, to show our hearts to us. Ask Him to reveal the depths of our sin, but don't do that glibly. Ask God to reveal your sin to you because you have a desire to repent. Ask Him to enable you to pull the log out of your own eye first, to grant you the grace to show compassion to your brother in the same way that our merciful God has demonstrated compassion toward us. And then lastly, we come to this strange, odd verse, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. One of my favorite commentaries that I've used on this uh, Sermon on the Mount, he completely skipped verse 6. I was so disappointed. I, I love the way he writes, and I was enjoying verses 1 through 5, and then all of a sudden he skipped to verse 7. I thought, wait, what, what happened to verse 6? Why did you just skip it? 
It's a tough, tough passage. I think in this, though, we can see that, fourthly, we must judge with discernment. For a Jew to call someone a dog or a pig was not a blessing. It was a horrible insult. Jesus knew, obviously, that there were some people for whom the shoe fit. We must be discerning as we go about this world because there are people who despise God, who despise His Word. They love their wickedness and they refuse to listen to the glorious good news. And the hardest part to all this is that all men are born this way. We came into this world as enemies of God. We all did. I mean, just read Paul's description of man in Romans 3. No, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And he just continues on and on and on until there seems like there's absolutely no hope whatsoever. Until you get to verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one lives without a few splinters in their eyes. We have all sinned. We have all earned the judgment of God. But that's not Paul's main point in verse 23. You have to turn there to see this. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Because I know we, we quote Romans 3.23 all the time. But it is just one small phrase within a beautiful sentence. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's not a new sentence. It's a continuation in verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Yes, we must understand that there are many dogs and pigs in this world that hate God, hate His Word, and hate His people. But that is who we all were at one time. The gospel is the answer for sin. Sinful man is justified. He's made right with God. He is declared righteous through a judicial act of God by his grace. Because of the substitutionary work of Christ, that propitiation, that substitutionary work of Christ, God's justice has been fully satisfied and sinners are forgiven. The splinters and the logs can be removed from our own eyes through the redemption that was purchased by the blood of Christ. There's our hope. We come into this world as enemies of God, sinners, all of us. But God, who is rich in mercy, even while we were dead in sin, made us alive in Christ. It is our great privilege to proclaim the good news. However, in our efforts to see sinners redeemed, we must be discerning. Jesus taught the disciples that there would be times when they would go to a place and they would be rejected, that they must turn away 
and shake the dust off their feet. In other words, you know what you're getting into when you go to your neighbor, when you go to your coworker, when you go to that family member. You know that they don't trust in Christ. You know that they came into this world as an enemy of God, and they enjoy it. But you also know that God can make the dead come to life. You also know that he can bring someone out of the kingdom of darkness and bring them into his kingdom of light. You know at one time you used to live the same way until your dead heart was made alive. So go. Give them the glorious good news about Jesus. But if or when they reject Christ, be compassionate. Be patient with them. You don't know if they're a dog or a pig yet. Be patient with them. Compassionate. But eventually, by wise discernment, you'll need to turn away and shake the dust off your feet. The whole time trusting that God is still sovereign. He will take care of them. It may not be my blessing to see them transformed. These may simply be seeds that are planted and somebody else 10 years from now will be able to reap the harvest. Trust in the Lord. Salvation belongs to Him.